A year, I think, will prove to be worse than 60. Really? Yes. Way to be optimistic. Um, welcome to My First Time. I'm Mary Jo Smith. I'm Colleen Smith. No, no relation. relation. Tonight we're talking stories of... Cancer. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thought we'd ring in the New Year we, with the most scary word on the planet. Cancer. Yes. Next to Trump. Yes, to Trump. It's cancer than Trump. Um, with us, as always, is Ian Smith, related to me. No relation to me. Actually, sorry, Ian Phonesmith, Ian Dr. Phonesmith. It, it changes. <laughs> I do, for those listening that are confused, I do have a brother named Ian Smith. This is not my brother. This Correct. is your brother. We need to just create a family tree on the thing. So it be two trees holding keep hands. Smith. <laughs> um, and our guests are? Uh, we have Tim McKernan. Yes. And Jocelyn Heaney. Thank you. And Steve Mallory. Oh, yes. Nice. Yeah. And we're going to start with Tim. Oh, we are? Excited. Yeah. Oh, Hello. Tim. Hi, Tim. How well, are you? Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Sure. I just want to start by saying that I am cancer-free. Yay! Yay! Yes, right? Oh, well. Yes. I know. What a year. I had it this year Ooh. Um, and last year, two years, um, one year into the second year, and uh, I'm just going to go right into it. So <laughs> <laughs> now, first of all, when I turned 30, which was just couple of years ago <laughs> plus some I my doctor was like you know as a man things happen these are things you should be on the lookout for and one of them was um, testicular cancer uh, and you know I was like well, I, there's no history of that in my family I don't have to worry about it but every so often in the shower I would really just you know, <laughs> get in there and there is a certain way to do it oh um, uh, to look for it and, you know, just it never had anything. So um, uh, kind of a, a little side note, when I was younger, my teenage years, I had multiple surgeries, all unrelated. So I've had a history of other health problems. So when, um, and totally fine from that. But, but when, I'm a, you know, a miracle of modern science. But <laughs> last... June, June, and uh, last week of June in 2015, I was in the shower. I was, you know, examining myself. Um, again, it's a very particular way to do it. It's a lot of pulling and stretching, and thumbs are involved. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I noticed there was like a like half of a frozen pea-sized lump, hard, not supposed to be there. Wasn't there before. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'm also like tall and my my crotch area is like counter level. Like every time I turn a corner, I'm always, I have bruises on my like hips from like running in the counter. So I thought, well, maybe I, you know, hit my balls <laughs> on, on like a counter. I just didn't know it, you know. It's, I don't know. Oh, is counter really level. Yeah, counter. Yeah. Oh, the level of counter. Like countertops. Like, couldn't wrap yes, my head around yeah, okay. like, yeah, not it. like. Could you, could you smash your balls into a counter and not know? Um, yes. Oh, Steve's saying yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah like if you're in a hurry, you know, if you're yeah. in a hurry, you got places For sure. to be, you know, somebody's calling your name, you turn, like, it, it just happens. Okay. Now, when was the last time you had examined yourself before this examination? Like, how much time it got back? Probably, like, I would say, like, three months. Okay. You okay. know. Um, you know, uh, my doctor had said you should do it monthly. 
Um, but you know, I, I was I wasn't. And the the age range of most testicular cancer patients is twenty to forty. It can happen any time, but that's the age range, and I am on the very upper end of that. Uh, so I thought I was in the clear, but apparently not. So I, I got this lump, and like in my head, I couldn't get my I couldn't get my head around it because I was like, well, that's I'm just gonna monitor it and see what happens. It wasn't painful. It wasn't hurting. So like the next week while I was in the shower, I did it again. Again, a lot of pulling, stretching, thumbs, you know, and I didn't feel the lump. So I thought it had gone away. So I was like, okay, well, that's good. And that was beginning of July. Then a month went by and I started to have a little bit of an ache in early August, um, as so many people do. At the beginning of August, <laughs> sure. And, you know, the August hot summers, yeah, long hot summers, the, the summer swelling. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, so then I felt it again, and there was uh, not one but two lumps, oh. and a little bit bigger, and a little bit sore to the touch. So my birthday is September fifth, so I'm like, you know what, I just. <laughs> Oh, no. No, no. This is <laughs> like, I'm going to wait till after my birthday. I'm going to wow. see how it goes. You know, I don't recommend that. If anyone has anything, they should just immediately go to the doctor. But given my, like, previous health history, I was also like, I can't, I can't deal with one more thing. So, sure enough, my birthday comes and goes, and it's still there. It's now kind of aching on its own at times, not all the time. Um, and it's, you know, meanwhile, my, like, testicle is not getting larger. It just has these lumps on it. Some people's testicles actually get larger. Some people shrink. Every man is different. <laughs> You're like snowflakes uh, down like, there. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so then I go, I go to my general practitioner, and he feels around there, and he's like, oh, yeah, there's definitely something there. We don't know what it is, so I'm going to send you for an ultrasound, and then we'll go from there. So I go for the ultrasound. It comes back that I have eight masses oh, in God. one testicle. <laughs> she sounds generous. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so uh, I was like, okay, what do I do? And he's like, well, you have to go to a uh, uh, urologist, and we'll go from there. So he refers me to this urologist. Naturally, they don't take my insurance. So I have to like go through all these hoops, and finally, after like six or seven different phone calls, I find this urologist. So I go to him. And he makes me get another ultrasound, and then I meet him in his office. This is all. This is all happening now within days. You know, once once they think it's cancer, <laughs> things move along real fast. Uh -huh. So I um, go to meet him in his office, and he's like, you know, probably in his early seventies, a Jewish guy, and he asked me like, he's like, what do you do for a living? And I go, well, you know, I'm uh, actor, comedian. I, you know, he's like, oh, and then I shouldn't have said that because then he starts. His jokes, oh, you know, <laughs> all that. Just, just say you're like, you know, an accountant. Um, it's much easier. People don't, Cancer tip people number don't one. Cancer tip number one. <laughs> say you're an accountant. Uh, <laughs> I deal in numbers. So then he like leans back. I'm in his, I'm not in like a, uh, you know, his, a room there. I'm just in his office sitting across from him at a desk. And he like leans back and he goes, so what do you think it is? <laughs> oh my God. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm i prepared now mentally for what it, I think it could be. Uh, and he goes, well, what do you think that is? And I was like, do you, you just want me to say it? I, it's cancer, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, it is. It's cancer. Like, oh, okay. Um, well, I said, well, what, now what do I, what do I do? And he's like, well, 
can't really operate on a testicle. It's a real sensitive organ. Um, so it's just going to have to come out. Okay, um, what does that involve? What is oh, it's it? real. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know. So he's like, well, you know, we'll schedule the surgery in another, like, week and a half. We'll have it come out, and then we'll go from there. There's, there's basically, like, four different types of testicular cancer. You can have one or up to four. So um, <laughs> they take it out. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, it'll be just a couple of days. You'll be fine. <laughs> no, I mean, it is you mean a hot wound. My by testicle, testicle, the entire testicle. It was luckily yeah. it was only to one testicle. Right. I, oftentimes it is. So they're taking off one of one, your boys. my left nut. Okay. But a wound in your crotch, like that's oh, not yes. a quick healing thing. No, and like I should have asked more questions, <laughs> but I really didn't. <laughs> and uh, my my dear friend Mo, who lives out here, who I I knew from my high school days back in Michigan where I'm from she uh, drove me and I ended up staying with her for a few days uh, as well but she drove me to the the outpatient it's outpatient everything's outpatient these days you just like suck it right out of you and um, I just remember like waking up (laughs) and still kind of loopy from anesthesia and um, I was like sore and I somehow like put my hand (laughs) down the um under the blanket and i I turned to my friend and and i had this clearly had this look on my face and she's like is everything okay i'm like i i i'm in a i'm in a jock strap (laughs) she's like what i go why am i in a jock strap i mean like bare ass jock strap she's like i don't know so the nurse comes in (laughs) i was like ask her Ask her. She's like, um, what? And I, she's, Mo's like, um, he wants to know why he's in a jock strap. And then she's like, oh, well, just to keep the swelling contained and keep the other testicle where it's supposed to be. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> so then we leave there, and I'm getting in, you know, Mo's car, and um, I have, you know, uh, Mo's like, uh, well, do you need anything? And I'm like, uh, cold water. <laughs> something so we stop at like a cvs and she goes in comes back out and then i'm like in tears and she's like what's wrong are you in pain i go no i'm still loopy from anesthesia no i don't have any jock straps i'm gonna have to change this jock strap into another jock strap and i don't have any jock straps and she's like oh oh okay well what should we do i'm like i don't know we need to get me a jock strap so around the corner from the CVS, this is in Santa Monica, is a TJ Maxx. <laughs> oh my God. So she's like, we'll, we'll just go here. And I'm like, I don't know if they have jock straps at TJ Maxx. She's like, I'll run in and see. I'm like, no, I have to go. <laughs> she's like, but I, don't, I think you should just stay here. You can barely walk. I was like, no, but I'm going to have to see if it fits. <laughs> oh, no. So, so I'm in TJ Maxx. Looking at jock straps, I didn't try any you know, on. Are you, you, you're not in your hospital gown anymore. Like. No, I'm like in loose, like uh, you know, uh, sweatpants okay. and a, a sweatshirt. Laundry room, laundry day clothes. Yes, exactly, yeah, sure. exactly. So, but I'm just like hobbling through TJ Maxx, and then these people are looking at me, and Mo's just like, they only have two jock straps. We're just buying them. <laughs> we can return them later. I'm like, you have to return jock straps, <laughs> even if they don't fit. So. Um, 
like uh, moving on from that, just the other part of, I feel like with cancer, at least in my experience, things come in waves because you get new information and you know, you're, you're getting tests, tests all the time and like every three months for the first year. And it was only after um, surgery and finding out what the, the type of cancer it was, it was only one, and it was basically the most curable and treatable. Um, I only know this because when I went back to the doctors for a checkup after the surgery, he showed me a picture of my cut up Oh. <laughs> um, uh huh. Yeah. Uh, trust me. That all the men in the room does not shake in It trembles. I mean, it's one thing to like know you have testicular cancer and have to have surgery, but then to see it and then see it cut up is um, disturbing. Nobody should have to see that. Um, but then, like, then there's the road after. Like, what do we do now? Do I need chemo? Do I not need chemo? Is am I am I just waiting and, and watching? And meanwhile, my you know urologist is still trying to tell me jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, well, it came to that I did need to have chemo. So I had that after the surgery. I had it earlier in two, this year, two thousand or this past year, two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Because um, it's you know January first, two thousand seventeen. It all just blends together. But then when I went for chemo, um, the doctor was like, uh, do you want to have children? Oh. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm gay. I'm single. I don't know. I have no idea. He's like, well, just in case, you should probably, you know, freeze some sperm. So it's just like one thing after another after another. And like, so I ended up doing that, which is a whole other story. <laughs> I should have led with that. We'll do my first time, my first sperm. Yeah, my, exactly. <laughs> uh, due to chemo and cancer. So, uh, but I did all that. I went to, you know, and, and just in the year since cancer and having chemo, the weird thing is, is, you know, I, I never felt sick. I never so much as had like, a fever or a temperature or a cold or a flu. So it's this weird thing that plays with your mind that that you have something going on internally. And the scary thing is, is you don't know if it metastasized or not. And I had a few incidents this past year in 2016 where I'd go get a scan and things would show up and I have to have further tests and then it's like nothing. But it's that, that whole in-between waiting game and also the fact that, like, it took me a while to come to an understanding that, you know, this is just my life. Every three months for a year, I'm going to have to have all these tests. And then it will go into twice a year, basically forever. But it's also kind of comforting knowing that you're getting checked out. Yeah. So if there is anything, um, they'll find it. And, you know, the my oncologist was great. Everything everything was done through Cedars. If you're out here, Cedars is fantastic, great <laughs> care. I'm so grateful to them. And, you know, they, they said that most cancers, if caught early, are very treatable. It's just when people get sick or they think it's something else, a cold, a flu, because some people do have those symptoms, um, that they just don't do anything about it. So I always say, this: the moral of the story is... <laughs> If you feel sick, just go to the doctor. Just get it checked out. If you feel something, get it checked out. It's very scary, but it's scarier um, having waited. 
Um, even if your birthday is coming up, <laughs> uh, just go. Give yourself the present of, of a yeah, test. Of, yeah, of a yeah. test and get you know. Don't wait. Like I, I probably could have gone earlier. I don't. Not much would have changed, if anything at all. But um, you know, uh, just <laughs> just don't set dates where you're like, I'll wait till after my birthday. I'll wait till after New Year's. Just go get it checked out. Um, and also, I think the biggest thing for me is. Um, through through the loss of a testicle, I have also strengthened and gained so many friendships, and people have been so kind and generous and thoughtful um, that it's it's it that helped me get through everything. Um, and because it wasn't my doctor's jokes that we're doing it. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I know. Doctor comedy. Doctor comedy. So just, you know, if men, check your balls. And if you need help, oh. I'm single. <laughs> I know how to do it. Um, and I'm willing to help. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm so glad that you're healthy. Thank you. Me too. Me too. Yeah, it's it's... Part of me feels like it happened to somebody else in some ways. I think something like big like that. The chemo didn't make you sick at all. The chemo made me sick. Okay. Yes, yes. But uh, just in terms of like like a tumor or cancer in yeah. the body, because a lot of people get fevers or um, get nausea from that, or they get cold symptoms or flu symptoms. I never had any of that. Did you I got have, sick from the chemo for sure. Did you have like just moments of emotional just terror, like? Oh my I, God. Yes, but it, that came after everything. Like, leading up to the chemo, I was anxious about it. And then when I got diagnosed with, like, cancer, um, I was more on, like, the headspace of, like, all right, it's got to come out. I want this I want this disease out of my body. Right. And then after the testicle came out, like, several days later while I was staying at my friend Mo's, I just was talking with her. I just broke down. And same thing with, like, chemo. Like, I had to have chemo and... So you were like, sort of in business mode and then... Business mode, yeah, yeah. for sure. Which I think is probably fairly common. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's also... I think it's so healthy to have an emotional release. <laughs> you can't... Exactly. He's dying. <laughs> so, yeah. He's dying. Yeah. Emotional. I got emotional. I'm sorry. Got, I know. It's, you know. And just one last question. Yeah, um, you can ask me anything. I know, I'm so open to talking. I just about feel it. like our listeners will want to know this. Yeah. Of the many childhood surgeries that you had. Oh yeah. Can you just tell us three? You don't even have to follow up. Just like list three things. You just tell us three surgeries that I've had. Yeah. Um, I had. Um, you sure? I had a kidney taken out. Ooh. Yeah. No kidney. I'm. I'm. No the kidney. weird thing is, my left kidney and my left testicle had been removed. Interesting. So wow. I, I lean heavy to the right. <laughs> very right positive. You're organ know, heavy. Very right, yeah. Interesting. Right positive, exactly. Uh, oh, okay, then I had um, uh, uh, renal artery replacement surgery. Wow. Wow. Right? And then I had um, surgery to correct uh, atrial tachycardia of the heart, which is like extra rapid heartbeats. Are, were these all connected to one syndrome or just separate things? Everything is separate. Though, in my own research from testicular can of testicular cancer, some doctors equate um, kidney and, testi and testicle issues together. Because when you're um, developing in your mother's womb, mm -hmm. your sex organs, the ovaries for, for women and the testicles for men, 
um, all start up at the kidneys and then they huh. drop into their place. So there is a link, I think. I, okay. I think I think it probably is somehow related, but there's no way of, of knowing. People have doctors have different um, takes on that. Interesting. I know. All right, Tim, tell us your shameless plugs because you have to leave us to go to a, a fancy oh, show. Oh, thank you for getting me in. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, such a fancy show. Um, I, I can be found on Instagram, on Twitter at the Tim McKernan. Spell it. That's uh, the T H E Tim T I M and McKernan M C K E R N A N. Yeah. Uh, and uh, have some projects coming out uh, next year, and you can find me uh, on on stage. At home, <laughs> if you find my home in my car, oftentimes singing at stoplights, uh, sing, just uh, just just bellowing it out at stoplights, um, seasonal songs. Uh, so uh, I, I can't wait for January seasonal songs. I think it would be good if we put how to check yourself for testicular cancer on the website oh, yeah. this month. Yes, and breast cancer, maybe some links of like. Yeah. Um, you know all of this kind of stuff for the and maybe also uh, Tim's Craigslist post about him do offering to do it for you. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. 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 just a link to that. To your <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. And message me on uh, Twitter. Yeah, send yeah. me a private message yeah. Yeah, on Twitter yeah. as long as you're and yeah. uh, service. Seeks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and if you live outside of the LA area, you're gonna have to pay for my travel. Pay for travel. That's, sure. just, well, that's, that's, that's built in. Yeah, very yeah. common. Yeah. Very common. Yeah, yeah exactly. Time. Super common. I should do like a YouTube video Crutch of time. how to examine your. You your should. Testicles. You should. And we could link that. Yeah, balls yeah. to the wall. My right. first time. Balls. Check oh, your. Boy. Yeah, and we'll call it balls to the wall. Um, could you call it ball to the wall? Is that okay? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. The plural's yeah. just offensive. Perfect. Thank you for being here, Tim. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Tim McKernan, everyone. Yay! All right, now we have Jocelyn. Jocelyn. Excited. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Um, mine's not a cancer narrative per se, rather cancer musings, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, just some thoughts on how cancer has affected my life. Okay. Um, and my family, which is my family, which is basically about all death all the time. So I have so much death in my family that. There's no real way to make a joke about it, but I can at least... It does not have to be funny. I can yeah. at least smile through the pain. No. Um, I think the first time... I, I think I, I had aunts that had cancer and things like that, but the first time that cancer really became a big part of my life was when my brother was diagnosed with brain cancer in 1990. And uh, he was... My brother Joey, I came from a large Catholic family, seven kids, and my brother Joey was the oldest, and uh, he was rather withdrawn. He was very, very sensitive and very emotionally kind of shut down as a person, um, which is kind of relevant to the story. Uh, but one day he was working at the Coca-Cola plant in Merrimack, New Hampshire, and he looked up in the sky and saw two suns instead of one and then fell to the ground and had a seizure. So for the first part of his story, I, I basically um, heard all of this kind of secondhand because I was in Los Angeles. So I was kind of getting reports about his uh, progress and his situation um, from my siblings and my parents. But I guess when I think about cancer, I think of the word transformation. And in some ways the transformation is really awful 
you know? And in some ways, uh, with the story of my brother and my sister, too, there's something beautiful about it. There's the moments of beauty and kind of miraculous things that come along with it. But I don't want to, you know, give, I want to kind of give equal weight to both things. So anyway, what was interesting about my brother Joey's journey, it was very, very quick with him. Um, he had a really aggressive form of cancer, a glioblastoma multiform tumor. And, um, you know, very quickly he started losing his faculties. He's How old was he when he had the surgery? 37. And um, so soon he was, he was a newspaper writer. He had been working at the Coke plant because he had lost his job, but he was basically a writer by profession. And he started losing the ability to read and he started losing words, um, you know, very common words he would have trouble remembering. So I had a conversation with him and I was like, you know, maybe someday you'll come back to visit California. And he said, I'd like to come to your corner you know and he would just say strange things like that and um the kind of amazing thing was he'd always been estranged from my father ever since he was the first born and my father was young when my brother was born and my father kind of resented it my brother wanted to be a rodeo cowboy and he had this <laughs> child and you know felt very hemmed in by my brother so they'd always had a had a kind of rough relationship but at one point my brother lost the word for father and uh, he was in the hospital and he said where's my friend oh. you know? and that it kind of broke something open in my father you know my father just lost it and um, there was this kind of thawing that happened with my brother Joey you know as he got as his illness progressed he became more and more gentle and kind and more and more open so rather than shutting down he really opened up and um, you know I was getting reports of this from my brother and from my parents and so I was just you know I really wished I could have spent time with him as he as he was going through this but unfortunately by the time I got to out to visit him he'd slipped into a coma um, so I wasn't able to but I always think about his story and it's kind of linked with my sister's story because four years later um this is the all death all the time kind of part of the story <laughs> this is the um you know unbelievable tragedy part of the story as promised as, in previous as stories. promised right i'd always deliver um uh, four years later my sister um woke up in the middle of the night and she couldn't um get back to sleep and she said I hope someone in my family doesn't have cancer or someone hasn't died. And then she fell to the floor and had a seizure. And turned out, and then she was diagnosed a couple months later with the same aggressive cancer that had killed my brother. And it's, a, it's another interesting story. Now this time, this was happening in Los Angeles, so I was, I was actually at school at Berkeley, but I was able to come down and visit her um, many times. So that was really good, and we met up back east together and several times so I was able to kind of have a more intimate relationship and with Janet's story you know Janet was a very very fiery person triple Aries you know <laughs> a little bit of a control freak you know intense 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 you know so with her what was interesting with the cancer is how um, she she softened a little bit and 
there was a tremendous sense of gratitude that she kind of developed, which was really amazing to see. You know, you'd be in the room with her and she'd be like, where are you going? If you left the room for a minute, well, come back because I really like having you here. You know, and she would say things like that. And it, when, you know, we don't normally talk to one another that way in our day-to-day -day lives, you know. And so when people begin talking with you that way, it's just, it, it takes you aback a little bit, you know. It kind of makes you reflect on everything you do, you know, you're, you're just your daily sort of actions. And there was, a, there was that kind of increasing sensitivity going on, you know. And then at the same time, of course, there was, she was losing her hair and her face was swelling up from steroids and... She was losing her ability to, like, uh, you know, she was becoming incontinent. I mean, terrible physical things happening, you know, while there's this kind of spiritual and emotional opening up um, going on at the same time. So I guess that's when I talk about transformation and I talk about it being horrible and beautiful at the same time. You know, that's well, kind of the boat. It's just of. like the two ends of the spectrum, like this, the loss of control, but the, you know, the gaining of that somehow that openness is amazing right right and it was something to see you know and as as someone as her sister and you know it was it was just something kind of where i would alternate between kind of being horrified and depressed to being sort of slack-jawed you know with like wow i can't believe you know this is happening um to her you know um and uh you know, she would tell me how she would see people on the street and she'd be like, I just bless them. You know, and, and when she would say things like that, at first I was like, come on, you know, like I would just think like, you know, there was this weird part of me where I'm like, are you losing that cynicism I love so much? You know, it, was, so it wasn't like I ran into this like new age, go to the light moment. You know, it was like, yeah, there was this weird moment where I, I thought I'm losing her personality that I know and I recognize and. I'm kind of stunned by this transformation, but at the same time... Yeah, because she was super smart and sarcastic and witty, and I don't I don't remember her being, like... Blessing people on the street. Yeah, kumbaya. Yeah. yeah. Not that she was a mean person or anything, but... No, yeah. but, but definitely not. Can I ask a question? Sure. Do you think that it that transformation comes from... Is inherent with the disease... Or comes from the condition of knowing you have it and knowing it an inevitable thing that allows you to kind of release this pretense that you've carried around? Or is it a little bit of both? God, I think that's such a good question. Um, I don't know, but I, I feel like with her, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, there was a letting go of, of the pretense of having to, you know, kind of be kind of cynical because you know let's face it being a little bit cynical it is a responsibility in a full-time job you know i mean <laughs> it does take some work you know yeah so being able to let go of that i think is good but i think too facing your mortality i mean i because i haven't been in that position i can only imagine what that journey is like you know where if you are facing your mortality you know i've seen it with different people, people react different ways. You know, not everybody opens up. Some people just get really frightened and shut down, you know. So it's interesting. I, I, I wish I knew the answer to that question. Hmm. But, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, with, with both my brother and my sister, it was just this, you know, it was this brutal, horrifying experience for both of them, you know. And, of course, the strange thing is, you know, that, 
their both of their stories are forever linked, not only because they had the same disease, but they both died at the age of 38, which was very strange, which for the rest of my siblings and I became this magic number where we're like, well, coming up on my 38th birthday, you know, and we would just get... Because Janet was the second oldest. Um, oh, Janet, no. My sister, uh, well, uh, it went Joey, Julie, and oh. then, yeah, right. and my... I had another sister who died of lupus, but that's an, but that's another story for another podcast <laughs> when you guys are doing lupus. <laughs> time with yeah, lupus. we have a lupus podcast. I know. Stepping up for Valentine's Day. <laughs> I know. I was trying to like keep the death to a minimum, so I wasn't going to bring that in, but since it came up. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I don't remember what I was saying, but... Um, <laughs> 38. 38, yes. Yeah. That was uh, a very important year. You know, when yeah. we made it through 38, we would all just kind of breathe this immense sigh of relief, you know, and there was this kind of magical thinking that went along with that, which was like, well, I made it through 38, therefore I am safe, you know, therefore it won't happen to me. But it makes you think about destiny, you know, and it makes you think about, you know, I think about Joey and Janet's stories and how they're linked together. And then I think, but yet you know, I'm a sibling too, and my story wasn't that. So, you know, you kind of wonder how much is predestined and how much is... Chance. Yeah, you know? Have you guys, all all the other siblings, how many siblings are there in total? Well, there were seven, but now there's four. Okay. Of the four of you guys, do you get regular testing for brain tumors or anything like that? No, not at all. Okay. No. No one recommended that at all? No, not... It's funny, like, when when Joey first got sick, I went to a doctor because I was starting to get, like, stress headaches. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he was like, oh, this cancer is so rare. <laughs> you know, you you don't have to worry about getting it. And it, what's funny is not only did my sister get it, but the surgeon that performed the surgery on my brother came down with the same cancer oh. as my brother. The one who said... No, so a different oh. doctor. Oh. Now, did you grow up? In a place I like know people always ask this question. <laughs> yeah, because my dad, uh, dad, my grandfather died of cancer, but he had stories of playing on the coal pile in Elizabeth, right, New Jersey. Right. So I'm like, that might be environmental cancer versus genetic cancer. So I, you already have an answer to this. Is there something environmental you think might have affected you guys? I mean, people say you know there could have been lead in the well. Like we grew up in New Hampshire and on a farm, we it had well water. You know that. But there could have been, you know, there could have been. But then again, it's like, so why did they get it and not the rest of us? You know, why didn't we all just kind of get the same cancer? I mean, it's not like we lived on Love Canal or one of those places, you know, those doomed sort of places. But there could have been something in the water, you know? I mean, I don't know. I I guess I get, that's when I get all cosmic, you know, is when I think like, ah, oh, no, it was meant to be that that was their journey. You know, and, and it had nothing to do with water or chemicals. But, you know, I think that there can be both components. You know, you, you can have like a physical cause and maybe a spiritual reason. Yeah. So. There's a fly in this room. I know. I keep hearing it. <laughs> and it's the middle of winter. It might be what? Janet. Maybe it's Janet. <laughs> She's got notes. <laughs> she, she would, would have, have notes. notes. <laughs> she would have notes, for sure. She totally would have notes. Yeah. Um... What an amazing story. Yeah. It, uh, how did you... Losing siblings. How did you survive that? Like, yeah. Um, because for me, my number one fear is, is losing my siblings. So how really? did you... Yeah. I guess you just do... I mean, 
you just do it through therapy, through friendships, through time. Um, and I think that it helps to believe in the afterlife. I really do. I think if, if, if you believe that you just disappear off the face of the earth or I think that might be a little bit tougher. Yeah. But I've always believed in something else and reincarnation or another life or another plane of existence. So, I mean, that I think has been a real comfort for me. So it helps. Yeah. This is where it sucks being agnostic where you're like, eh. I know. I, I know. I, for me that the, because they're unanswerable questions of what happens when we leave here, I'm open to believing anything because unless you can completely prove it to be not True. possible, then yeah. who am I to say, you know, anything is, is for real or not for real forever. And I certainly want to believe that. I want to believe, I mean, energy's infinite. It has to go somewhere, right? Um, I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a podcast for another day. Yeah. My first time with body energy. <laughs> My first time with body energy. I like that. I mean, invite me back for that one, please. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. That was an amazing for story. For telling us that well, story. Thank you. Do we want to just do plugs <coughs> midway so that we just don't have to re edit anything? That's up to you. You're the editor. Yeah, tell us your, your plugs. I have a blog called America's Junkyard, which is about kind of decaying Americana. And so it's writing and photographs Ooh. Um, of things like, you know, liquor stores and trailer courts and things like that and accompanying writing. Okay, now we have Steve, Steve Malory. Mm. <laughs> it sounds so much more noble that way, Malory. Your lord, my lord, Malory. My lord, my Um th This is this is great. I get to be, I get I have two really great stories that that I have to kind of follow up. That's it's, awesome. It's tough, and like Tim, I have a I have a testicular cancer story because I had testicular cancer, and it's great because he he said a lot of the things <laughs> that that I was gonna say. But you're going to say them better and funnier. I'm going to say it better and funnier. Let's start. It's yeah. a competition. Let's start. Let's see who can have the better testicular cancer story. First, all this shower uh, fondling business. Yeah. Mm -mm. No. I was married. My wife did it. My wife was groping me pretty hardcore. You know, we'd been married for a while. It was still, it was still pretty busy. And she, like, went, that's not right. That's not right. And I'm like, what? She goes, this doesn't feel right. And it was a little tender. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so what? We're doing stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> who cares? And she literally wouldn't do stuff until I called the doctor. Good for She's her. like, Let, yeah. go to the doctor right now. It wasn't right then. We waited a couple minutes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and I went and much, much like, a, much like Tim, you go. And it's, it's immediately and quickly, they, they kind of kick the can. You go to your doctor, you get a little quick feel and it's like, Yep, go see a urologist. Yep, go see an oncologist. And there's no, like, make an appointment. It is, and you'll go right now, and they will make it, like, it happens right. very, very so quickly. Right, so, like, wouldn't that make, that would make me so on edge. Like, you're you're not saying, yeah, make an appointment, come back in a couple weeks. You're like, we're going now. Yeah, it it's both good and bad. It's kind of nice to be caught up in the whirlwind and being propelled forward. I felt like if I have downtime, like, I'm not good with downtime. Downtime is, is bad for me. Um... Here's the thing, though. I had a harbinger of this, which was that as a kid, I had an undescended testicle, mm -hmm. which actually required multiple surgeries, uh, which is a, crazy, where in the 70s, they, they, would, they would try to fix the boys, right, by going in and doing a surgery and trying pulling down the testicle. Ooh. 
which when you're seven years old doesn't feel great. Ooh, does not. However, I dodged a bullet because there was a surgery where they said, you know what we could do is take a tendon out of his thigh, oh, attach oh, it to the base oh. of the testicle, and then every step he takes would pull the testicle down. <gasps> oh, my gosh. As the doctor, I'm sure, is smoking Pall Malls in the, in the, in the office, room, I'm right. certain of it, yeah. right? So I dodged that bullet. Yes. But I always knew, and every doctor had told me, like, because you had an undescended testicle, you're a very prime candidate to, to have testicular cancer. Why? Uh, because, I don't know, oxygen, sun, like you're not getting enough of something or that it was in the wrong environment, that it wasn't yeah. moving properly, it gets too hot, all these things that comes with with, uh, with the boys. <laughs> you know, the boys are temperamental. Um, so when, when it was like, we, pr- we, do a, we do an ultrasound, and by the way, about, the, about getting an ultrasound, when you get an ultrasound on your testicles, you are sitting in the room going, please be the 300-pound Samoan guy to scan my testicles. Do not be the cheerleader right out of grad school. <laughs> Don't be the beautiful little blonde girl. Be this guy. It's like, you know what? This is a, this is a thing. And you always get the Unless little blonde Unless you happen to be attracted to big giant. Great point. Great point. Right. I, I did get the little bit just, of a cheerleader. You just basically don't want a spank bank character. Yes, you, you, yes, you don't. Your you don't want this to play out like the worst porn, porn right, from, right. from the eighties. Oh my god! And it did. My mom it, did. Did. it did. Oh yeah, yeah. And, she, and there was no, there was literally a point where she goes, "Now I'm going to put the warm electrolyte jelly on your scrotum," <laughs> and you're like, "No, come on, don't say it, just do it." <laughs> it was not fun. Uh, so you get the ultrasound, and sure enough, there's a, a density. There's uh, some sort of mass within your your right testicle. Tim and his left testicle. Pfft, right testicle is where it's Much at. Everybody knows. Yeah. Um, and they do. They, they kind of, very quickly, the solution is orchiectomy, I think they call it, which mm. I think is like a... Like the like the orchid, like we're going to take away the orchid. Orchiectomy. I thought of the pasta, like orchetta. Okay, that's <laughs> another way to think weird. about it. <laughs> that's what I order too. I'll have the orchiectomy with the bolognese <laughs> and just a, a little cream sauce on top. Um, and much like Tim, they said, "Listen, do you are, are you planning on having kids?" This happened when I was thirty, very similar when he and I'd been married eight years which is crazy. Why was I married? I was married very young. Yeah. We're like, yes. Oh, yes, we want to have children. For sure. This is on the books. And they're like, great. Here is the sperm bank. You have to go. You have to go to the sperm bank to bank. And there's a whole secondary story where the sperm bank didn't receive one of our payments and actually chucked all oh. of our samples. Oh, That's the outcome. But going to a sperm bank, and again, what... By the way, testicular cancer should be the name of a porn because it literally is like, listen, here's a place called the ejaculatorium, (laughs) which is the room where you do your business, right? The least sexy thing in the world. There is nothing sexy about about banking, right? They have a selection of materials, okay? Pornography. Correct. One of them was the VHS tape, Circus Sluts. Oh, circus sluts! Right? Can we hear the plot of circus sluts? Couldn't tell There's you. There's no plot. Oh, Couldn't yeah. tell you. I, I believe circus sluts was because I, I went uh, several times. Circus sluts was visited as a, as, as a medium for 
maybe 15 seconds like, nope, it's not my way. Nope. I now know. <laughs> I now know sexy sle- sexy clowns are not my thing. Not your thing. So yeah, that's, you know right away. So One self-realization. box check. check. the box. I'm all done. <laughs> um, so we're done. We're done banking and we're going to, we, this has to happen pretty quickly so we can get in to have the surgery, the orchiectomy, the removal. And uh, we go in. We go in and uh, the process is outpatient, which always, that's the thing that always get me. Like in literally in three hours, you're just going to take my manhood. You're going to take 50% of kind of my masculinity. Just take it. And I'm, and I'm going home. That, that, that always, that is true. Like I should be there for four days. Right, right. That's the way I feel. And there should be like people with palm fronds and peeling grapes. <laughs> like if, I feel like there should be a lot more ceremony than a, you know, kind of a quick thing. Yeah, you want people to come and pay respect. Right, yeah. right. I yeah, kiss that. the ring a little bit, guys. I'm going through something here. Uh, and a, uh, a very nice guy came in, like, a, an, like an orderly or whatever it is, and with the, the face, this, sa- this sad, grieving face, and I looked at him, he's like, man, uh, I got to shave you. <gasps> oh, my God. And you're like, right, oh, man. And I'm like 30, and you're like... This, neither of us want to be here. Neither of us want to be here. And God bless male stupidness because he literally put shaving cream in his hands and went, did you see the Lakers game last night? And I'm like, yeah. Shaq was a monster on the boards. And literally the whole the whole shaving thing was us going like, you know who's great was Cedric Sabalas, man. He could pass the rock and why'd they drop him? When he went to Phoenix, he could. And, and it is just this rapid fire sports talk while he's scraping my pubes off. And I was so thankful. I was so grateful that he was just like, thank God you're going to talk sports with me because neither of us wants to be here. Um, my my doctor came in. He goes, okay, this is, this is going to be uh, the... This is how it's gonna work, uh, and there's a, there's a couple things that like they they literally cut through your pubic bone. They don't go through the scrotum. They go through your your yeah. pubic area. Huh? Because by going, I don't medically you don't need to know this, but by going through the scrotum you can spread the cancer if there's cancer. Oh. So they want to go through. So he kind of explains this, and I I ask a couple of questions, which is one, do, is there a prosthetic? Should I be thinking about? And I hadn't really thought about it, but I'm like, is that a question people ask? And he looked at me kind of like, I guess we could get you one of the German Shepherd ones. <gasps> I'm like, wait, what? Like in the question, he goes, yeah, guys don't normally do it. Sometimes in Europe they do. But German Shepherds really, if you, if you neuter them, they like to have uh, testicles. So we, we could probably get you one. It would take an hour or so. So, so German shepherds like to have testicles? German shepherds, if they don't have testicles, I guess, just are just a shell of themselves. So when you neuter, and especially breed, I, I guess people who raise them, when you finally neuter them, they like to, they like to put in some nice uh, silicone testicles. Wow. I passed. So these are silicone testicles on. made for dogs, but yeah. offered to you while you were on the table. Just before I went in. That's crazy. Right. But by the way, like that, and no one's like, Maybe there's a business here, guys. I don't know. Maybe there is a testicular cancer uh, prosthetic testicle business that sure. we don't know about. Well, the Germans apparently have a lock on it. <sighs> well, the German shepherds, at least. Uh, <laughs> oh, and then oh. I did ask a question that I didn't think was crazy. And actually, Tim's story. I said, now, do I get to keep it? Oh, your testicle? Yeah. Because I thought, boy, that's a badass mantelpiece. 
<laughs> I thought that would be something like you know not in in a formaldehyde, but just like a small like. Guess what's in that jar that you can't see? Guess a what? Shriveling, rotted piece of human flesh. Yeah, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound <laughs> as good. But for a second, it crossed my mind because we're in a panic situation. This is what's going to go on. Um, so I'm about to be wheeled in. My my question's answered, and I cough because I have a little bit of a cold. And he goes, "Are you sick?" I'm like, "Yeah, just a little chest cold." And he goes, "Oh no, we can't do it." Oh. I'm like, "What?" He goes, yeah, because you're going to be anesthesia. You're going to be compromised. Your respiratory is going to be compromised, so we can't do it. I'm like, I'm, listen, I don't think I can come back. We, we have to do it. And he goes, well, you could do it awake. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? I'm like, awake? He's like, yeah. Yeah, we'll just bring, give you an epidural. We'll give you an epidural, and we'll just, we'll just do this thing. And sure enough. Holy shit, Steve. Yeah. Right? And it they went into your balls while you were awake. Oh, and my, I, I, I wish, I wish this Ian wasn't just. Ian is at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, the late, the girl who gave me the epidural, this was like her third day oh, practicing Jesus. medicine, oh, no. and brought a because epidurals are given to pregnant women, yes. right? And I'm no, I'm a, I'm a sizable guy, and I was more sizable then. You know, I'm like 270, 280, and they brought a needle that was like this big, just like this tiny little quarter inch needle, and it was just nicking my spinal cord just nicking oh. and like in there and I remember my leg like shooting out because like no that's that you know because it's supposed to go in and, yeah and finally the big doctor came in and gave it to me and I had like a sore spot in the middle of my back for two years jeez like it was so bad that there was one spot on my back where you could just like like I'll be fighting you like bare chested like Matt Damon in one of those movies and all you have to do is just barely flick the spot in my back and I crumple wow it hurts so bad wow so I'm awake I'm awake and they begin this procedure. And what it, Are you on your back? Uh yes, I'm on my back. Okay. I'm on my back and I'm kind of leaning up, right? They have a tent below. Yeah. But it, it feels as if someone just every once in a while, and I'm gonna do this to Colleen for our view, is just grabbing your leg and going like oh. this. Just this gentle tug every once in a while. And you feel your body move. You don't feel pain. You just feel like jar just business going down that you can't see. You just can't see it. And then it's all over. And they send you home. <laughs> God damn it. No. Did, wait, did they give you a jock strap? Yeah. No, no jock strap. No jock strap. But you know, this was this was uh 99. Well, Maybe they didn't they, yeah, they didn't have pre-jock strap. <laughs> they hadn't described and, that. And uh went home and regular amount of healing and then but you have a meeting pretty quickly afterwards like okay what was it because they've now taken the testicle which I no longer own because they have to do stuff with it <laughs> they've done the biopsy and it's like yeah there was there was cancer in there but we caught it very early stage one which is the best and uh, I said okay so what what do I need to do now they go well right now by removal this early you are like a 92% chance never having cancer again right that's great and I'm like, oh, fantastic. I'm like, but, but uh, how, do we, how do we bump it up? And they go, you could do radiation, radiation therapy. Uh, radiation therapy, you could do it. I'm like, and then what's my number? They're like 99.3, some like you're as close as you can get. And I'm proud of myself because I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's push up those percentages. Even though like in the medical world, like 
93. Yeah, I would have been like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, it's, and, it's crazy. and I know somebody right now no, who's I mean, actually. I would have wanted to do it. Getting mm. uh, me close to 100. And again, ignorance was probably blissful because that it really was the worst part of it. And people who go through chemotherapy have it so much worse. But radiation is no fun. A friend, that's why I would say radiation. My friend did radiation, and she was like confined in a separate thing, and you have to you have to dispose of your waste separately because it's radi like it's the way she described it. It sounded like a nightmare. It's the uh, I will say this: the one plus side, upside to radiation is every day for thirty days, you go into a room and you're surrounded by four or five medical technicians. And you are completely naked laying on a, on a steel table. <laughs> and the first couple days, like every sensible human being, you're like, I'm shot. Like, I'm, here's all my, I'm just laying, I'm so vulnerable. So yeah. spilled out. Yes. And by day five, you're like, did you see Arsenio Hall last night? What a, what a, you know, it's 99. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to make it. I don't know. It seemed like something. Uh, but you you do. And my wife has always said, it's like, you're very comfortable just taking off all your clothes if need be. If someone's like, hey, can I see your ass cheek? It's like, yeah, no problem. Like, you, you I've built up a tolerance to being lower half nude. Yeah. So, just outside just of no radiation thing. therapy, aside from losing all your hair, and also I have tattoos. Really? Because they have to line up this radiation gun in a really specific way, and they said, listen, every day we can take 20 minutes doing the alignment to go down from all your lymph glands all the way down to your groin, and we'll, we'll align it with these lights, and then we'll mark it, and then we'll shoot you. Or the first time, we can do little pencil lead mark type tattoos. <gasps> so I have eight tattoos on my stomach going down my crotch and I'm like that's what I'm saying like everyone's like yeah here's my I'm like I have a much tougher tattoo than you because this is the tattoo that marked the radiation gun because they took out my ball while I was awake yeah right I don't care about your gang sign at this (laughs) time there we go so that's my that's my cancer story. I want to say and you're cancer free yeah like forever 18 years cancer free cancer free I want to say this Steve does have a child. Yep. Mm. He begat a child. Oh my God. Via natural means, right? Just super. What is this? An addendum, subnote? Sure. Plus, plus. Uh, When I was done, I was more than vasectomy sterile. Okay. That's the thing. Like, you're sterile. After radiation. After radiation. Like, it wipes you out. Um, And I went back a bunch to get it tested because we really wanted to have kids. And after the banks thing failed, and my wife had has uh, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm-hmm. which which puts her at a very low chance of being able to have kids. And we wanted them, and we didn't. We've been married 15 years, no kids. We tried adopting; it fell through because we were going to do an open adoption. And we literally had that come to Jesus conversation where it's like, you know what? We're gonna be cool, uncle and aunts, and we're gonna go to France. <laughs> like you, just that thing. Like forget it. Right. Obviously, it's not meant to be. And then we got pregnant, and we had our our daughter, who's amazing. And almost right afterwards, we went back to the doctor, and it's like whatever was broken is fixed. And we both get tested. Like no, no, you're not fixed even a little bit. Like the numbers are like twenty five thousand to one that you could have a kid. And now that you've had one. The numbers just jump through the roof. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And in case you're wondering, she looks exactly like, like the Steve. hybrid yeah. of Steve and Lisa. And Lisa. Yeah. So 
It's not a. It's it's their kid. <laughs> yeah. It's your kid. You guys are like it's your guys you're like kid. triplets. The three of you. Yes. Yeah. Although each of us, I'm like, were you sleeping with a mailman or was I? <laughs> I will say I. This is because we had the sexism chat two or three episodes ago that I was so impressed with the idea that you'd be awake dealing with surgery, and then I thought millions of women for sure. This is just a thing. Cesarean. They have a cesarean, and like we just go, yeah, yeah, that's how you give, have babies. And I remember when I was a kid, because I was a cesarean, my mom had me, and she explained it, and I was like, you were awake? What? Like, it was like someone cut your belly open and pulled a baby out of you, like, what? Um, but I realized that even then, like, I was so like, what? I mean, it's still, it is. It's impressive when anyone does it. Yes. I don't know if I can get through but it. You, hold on. It's impressive to other men. <laughs> Other men go, whoa, dude. And most women go, yeah, I've had three kids. Right. Big deal. Yeah. It, this is like there's a uh, there's a, uh, a birth control pill for men that has just gone through the FDA and they've yes. just rejected it yeah. because the men have said, oh, you know what? I'm a little nauseous yeah. and sometimes oh, I get oh, headaches. And you're God. like, you oh, dumb. Like they re- you rejected something that women have to deal with on birth control all the time because you're delicate. Oh my, you poor baby men. Men are babies. Thank men you are the worst. That up and, uh, I appreciate yeah. that you said it and I didn't. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I am, I, you know what? I'm done with us <laughs> as a sex. Don't be done. Just go out and teach. Just go and spread the message. Sorry, guys. I didn't want it to spill over here. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Steve. What Yay, podcast! Steve Malori. Catch yourself, Malori. I don't have anything to plug. Like, I barely look at Facebook. I, uh, you have a film coming out? I have, do have a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film from uh, New Line Cinemas. I co-produced a movie with Melissa McCarthy, Ben Falcone directing, uh, titled right now Life of the Party, but it's probably going to change. And it will not come out till Mother's Day 2018. All okay. right. How about that? Oh, and you can also so you can also rent your breath, that's the boss. Time. You can rent yes, the yes, boss. Yes, yes, you wrote. I wrote the boss. Starring Melissa McCarthy. It. Starring Melissa yeah. McCarthy. Yeah. I just, I'm just boring. I'm the same same group so of people. Keep your peepers peeled. That's not a boring group. But you can see me that Melissa yells at me and just know, oh my God, she's yelling at a guy with one testicle right now. And it uh, contextualizes the scene. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Steve Mallory. Steve Mallory. Yeah. parents know. Yeah. There you go. All right, my turn. Um, so I have, uh, I've had a lot of, I've never had cancer, knock wood, spit in the air three times, turn around. Um, and although I did have a cancer scare, I did have one of those, you know, during the breast exam with the gynecologist. Mm, that, you know, they're, they're sitting there, they're talking as they're, they're you know, kneading your boob, <laughs> K-N-E, kneading. And, uh, and t- you know, talking about, so, do you have any plans for the, oh. <laughs> you know, oh. Like right in the middle of a sentence. So, you're going to go anywhere this summer. Oh. And so you immediately are like, oh, like, oh. Like it, that, if you, the doctor, that was, pa- gave you pause. What are we, what are we doing? And then, you know, you get sent for the ultrasound, the gift of the, sent to the mammogram, and the mammogram is iffy, and so you go to the ultrasound, and then you're waiting for the results, and then it turns out to be nothing. But in the interim, and I, I was so impressed with um, both, you know, you, Steve, and Tim, uh, sort of seemingly you guys, like, were not, you kept it together emotionally. I was a disaster. I was so terrified um, and thought for sure it was a death sentence. And um, 
I just remember, like, I couldn't, I would just be overcome with fear, just racked with, like, huge waves of fear and sobbing and, um, and bleak uh, thoughts. Just, like, I, I, I go so quickly from I'm fine to just, like, leaking fluids out of every orifice. Like, I'm, like, I'm wasting syndrome and... The only upside is that I've finally lost weight and I look good in white. Like, that's it. But I've, mostly it's just horrible. Um, and, and part of the reason for that is that there's been a lot of cancer in my family. And uh, my mom, uh, who, is, who I really wanted to tell a story tonight, um, but is not ready to do that, um, is, uh, has lost, she had uh, parents and one sibling and uh, lost all three of them to cancer in a very short period of time. And, and talking about the age thing, when you, you Jocelyn, mentioned, like, you know, the magic number of both Janet and Joe dying at 38, and then you get to that 38. And, uh, my mother, when she finally lived past the oldest that her parents and sister had lived, like when she li- outlived them, she sort of said, like, I really didn't think I'd get there. So I totally, totally get um, that way of thinking. But cancer, so my, my, um, my mother's father had ALS. I, I knew him, but very briefly, he um, died when I was very young. And then uh, his wife, my mother's mother, had brain uh, and bone cancer mm-hmm. um, and a long, long suffering death. Um, and I knew her better and, and, um, we moved to, you know, my, moved into her apartment in Baltimore when, when she was dying. And so, um, and I was a hippie kid. So I went from like for a short time living in, in pretty, you know, hippie environments like buses and teepees and whatever. And then all of a sudden we were living in a high rise in, in the, you know, inner Harbor in Baltimore and, and, um, you know, just sort of witnessing the death of my grandmother and my mother taking care of her and how tragic and traumatic that was and then a short time after that my mother's only sibling breast cancer um and then uh her death and I was present for for her death um and uh so my my mother very quickly lost her entire family to cancer and it set my me and my whole all of my siblings my whole family up for just um a, a very heightened fear of of cancer i mean everybody's it's like the worst word in the world right like cancer if somebody says cancer it, it it brings up all sorts of different things for different people certainly in our family it is like terrifying and it and and as hard as it was for me, like I, I have so much sorrow over having never known my mother's parents, and I was very close to my aunt. It was really hard for me when she died. I still miss her. I have a picture of her by my bed. Um, she was really a cool person. And I wish that I had known them better as an adult. Like I felt really, I feel really robbed of that. Um, but even more than that, <clears throat> wow. Um, even more than that, uh, I lost, we, my, my siblings and I lost everybody else because my mother got, was so overcome with fear and pain that she withdrew from the rest of our family. So she just wasn't willing to risk losing anyone else. So she just disconnected. And so I didn't know anybody. I didn't grow up with any of my cousins and I didn't really know, 
anybody um and uh I, uh, you know, like the death of my grandparents and my aunt was just sort of the tip of the iceberg in a way. It was sort of the death of the entire, my mother's entire side of the family, just gone. And um, I carry a lot of anger about that and, uh, and regret. Um, and, and it's this, you know, my mother just is, it's not, she's not comfortable really talking about it. It's just too much pain. And I think I just was too young to sort of um, to to start relationships with those people. I mean, when I, the ages that I was when when my when my mother's father died, she was pregnant with my brother. So, and I'm four years older than him. So, and then I would have been seven when her mother died, and then I was um, ten when her sister died. So I was young. So I wasn't like really, I didn't realize that that was what was going on. And, and so I, a lot of years went by and I, I didn't really know how to connect to those people or I, I too was afraid to connect to them. I could just heard stories about how, um, you know, well, I didn't hear a lot of stories. My mother didn't, didn't and doesn't talk about it a lot because it's painful for her. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so for me, it's like, and I became the keeper of things. Like we're recording this podcast for those who don't know in my house, and I am the keeper of um, some my grandparents' things. Like this cabinet over here on my left was my grandmother's, and the teacups in in this cabinet were my grandmother's, and she collected them from all over the world. And like I hold on to them because I didn't know her because of cancer, and I didn't know so many people in my life because of cancer, and. Um, so, and then my mother recently, a couple years ago, or a year and a half ago, um, you know, she, she was sick. She's fine, but she, she was sick, and, and uh, she had one of those days where, uh, you know, she called me, and she said, I'm, sh I'm short of breath, and I have pressure in my chest, and I don't feel well. And I was like, you're having a heart attack. Like, go to the emergency room. That's what's happening. And then she wasn't having a heart attack, but they did an X-ray, and they said, it was one of those horrible, like, um, m bad, like, bad movie moments where you're sitting in a emergency room at midnight with your mom and your brother, and you've been there for hours, and some guy comes in who they, there's been a shift change, so the really nice guy you've been dealing with all day has gone home, and then the new guy comes in to read the chart and goes, "Yeah, that's probably lymphoma. You should get up tomorrow morning and make an appointment to go see." <sighs> you know, your GP and sort of get that process started. And how um, casually that's dropped. Yeah, and then, and, and then, and my mom who, you know, it's her, been her greatest fear, right, that she would get cancer or that her children, that she would pass cancer to her children. Um, and um, so, uh, and then having to call my siblings and say, you know, they think it's lymphoma. They're saying it's lymphoma. My mother just weeping, like just weeping and apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry. I never wanted to give this to you. And for us, it was like it's a death sentence, right? Like if somebody in my family gets cancer, they die. They're gone. It's over. Um, and then it wasn't cancer. Um, it was a long journey to discover that it wasn't. Um, but for you know several months of trying to figure out what was wrong and or maybe not months but weeks anyway um 
so yeah, so I, uh, and I definitely have that mentality of like, if anything's wrong, it's cancer. You know, mm. I have a hangnail and, <laughs> um, you know, that's pr- probably some kind of like cartilage cancer that's like, sure. eats, you know, seeping out my finger or, you know, my hair is thinning. So there must be something wrong with my something else that's causing you know any it's all like cancer i'll lay in bed at night and i'll and i'll turn to um to check to my my fiance and just in the dark and i'll say am i dying like i do this a lot am i dying and he'll say you're not dying and i'll say well are are you sure like maybe i have a cancer somewhere nope you don't have a cancer all right good night like i do that a lot it's i I have a, a crazy obsession with it um and um and just I just live in fear of it, and it's so it's irrational in a lot of ways. Like I haven't had cancer, thank God. Spit in the air three times for now. Um, <laughs> I like it still. It's always followed with. Yeah, this is my mother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> spit in the air three times for now. Um, and uh, I don't have cancer, and I haven't lost a sibling to cancer, which is like it's like so hard I can't even imagine that and I, I, I fear it like I have these fear fantasies I don't know what else to call them they're not fantasies because fantasies to me like implies like I a positive thing but I have people, these fear stories I think people act out the thing they're most afraid of so that when it happens they're prepared yeah that could be I know be. I do that mine are very melodramatic though like I sometimes write well, obituaries in my head and yeah 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 it doesn't yeah. have to be boring yeah, no. you wear a nice dress yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Maybe there's a love affair. Maybe there's a right, right, wild right. stallion. Maybe someone realizes all the time they didn't appreciate you. Yeah, but a hundred percent, yeah, you work out the worst your worst fears. It's like practice. Yeah, you. you're practicing for the worst. Right. Um so yeah, so I guess that's my story. My story is um, you know, this this ever present of this disease that had wiped out the that one side of my family yeah. I mean three of them literally but the rest of them went with them you know the pain and suffering was too much for my mother to stay connected to any of those people and so I lost like you know my great aunt Gloria and my cousin Bruce Down syndrome and like all these kind of like people that I think I would have had a really cool time talking to and getting to know and people that I look like and look like me and that I don't have that. Like I'm very yeah. separate from as much as I have, I have the oldest of five and I have 10 nieces and nephews and, and we're all very close and, and we're all very conscientious about staying together. Cause we all feel this on some level. Yeah. Um, sort of, we just got, it was removed. Mm. Um, so happy new year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. All right, I don't think we have to take a break. We can just move to me, right? Sure. All right. Um, ooh, sorry. This microphone's heavy. That was a funny cancer Well, story. here's the thing, which seems to be also true about this podcast, for those who haven't listened, is Mary Jo and all other human beings that participate in this have very dark, uh, depressing stories, and I find out that I'm the most spoiled dick on the planet. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. I do. Like, uh, you really realize your how just like sheltered your life is when you start to ask people true stories about what they've dealt with. So for me, um, the first cancer I remember was my dog patches. He had mouth cancer. My parents put him to sleep. It was horrible. Um, 
Then my aunt died of cancer. Um, uh, my uncle had cancer. One of those, like, not bone cancer, but what are those immune system cancers where you can live for a long time with it? I can't think of, like, like lymphoma or something like, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of that. I wasn't super close to my uncle. I became close to him once I moved to L.A., and then then he, he died, and it was horrible. But um, I never really... Everything I dealt with a human being with cancer, even though my family is riddled with it. It's all heart disease and cancer. We're all going to go with heart disease and cancer. My grandfather died of cancer. My other grandfather died of cancer, or it was heart disease. Um, or like one of my grandmothers, she died run over by a tractor, but they think probably she had a heart attack and fell and the tractor ran her over. So it's just, it's all like all the things. And so to me, I'm actually not terrified of cancer because I just sort of got the idea of like, you just have this thing. Your family either has heart disease or cancer. You're set up for whatever. And then I ended up having seizures, which is a nice, funny wild card in the mix. Um, but <laughs> that's just how I felt. And so my actual, I have, I've lost an aunt that I very much loved to cancer, but I wasn't there for her dealing with it. I was young and I, she hid it and I didn't deal with it. But this is an interesting thing, which is the most like other house, if you've listened to the other podcast, (laughs) Colleen's version of a cancer story, which is, um, my dog Blue has cancer. So, um, Blue's... Right now. Yeah. Yeah. So Blue's my dog. Like, I've had dogs since I was a little kid. They were my dogs, but they were my siblings. Blue's mine. Like, my little sister and I adopted Blue, and he's ours. And we've been... We know what dogs are. We know they die on you, and it's depressing and horrible. And we knew he was a Labrador, and he's big, like, so he's going to die earlier. And we were just constantly prepared for him to go, but not prepared, right? Because he's so perfect and lovely. And then he got sick, and we took him to the vet, and it turns out he has this weird bone cancer that's gotten to other organs. And the thing about it is I'm in charge of him. I'm responsible for him. I, I, I'm not one of those crazy people who equates having a dog with a child I'm also not one of those people who shits on people who equate having a dog with a child because I 100% get that. You're talking about pure, uncomplicated love. Like, you don't need to diminish that because you had a kid. You just understand that they're different. It's apples and oranges. But I have this baby. He's mine. Like, he's I'm in charge of him. And my decisions for his health, if I had all the money in the world, I would make different decisions but I'm acting like I have all the money in the world because I'm like I'm not gonna do this to him I'm going to spend whatever and Jen and I have spent a lot of money that we can't afford to keep him alive but there's also that feeling of quality of life where like I don't because he's not going I mean if he was super healthy the longest he'd ever live was like probably 20 years I mean he's a Labrador um, and that's still stretching it. So I'm going, I don't want him, I don't want to keep him alive to make me happy and make right. me morally feel like I did everything I could, but I also don't want to not keep him alive because I'm thinking about I'm spending all this money. And so it's this horror show of emotion that I experienced. The last time I experienced it was when my aunt died of heart disease and whatever, and we had to like make 
decisions and I really just wanted my mom to like swoop in, fix everything and she didn't. And my brother and my sister and I had to be like, okay. And my cousin, we had to be like, all right, I guess we're the adults here and we have to make these decisions. And it, it loops back to that with Blue where I go, I have to make a decision about someone's life and I have to, I have to decide what's going to happen. And I, and I hate the grossness of going, this is costing so much money and I don't know if it's going to do any good. And, and then just that craziness of also going like, well, okay, he's getting better, but he's on steroids and it's making him crazy. And then being like, well, he's crazy now. And is that quality of, and all this quality of life. And then he this can't is, tell you. he can't tell me. And once again, it is a thousand times worse as a human being, but it is weird to deal with a dog who's sick because they can't tell you how they feel. So you're just going, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't, I don't know. And everything about you has always been so uncomplicated. That's your, that's what is about you. Like you're, everything about you is just joy and love and perfection and sweetness. And now we've gotten to this complicated world and I don't want to put that on you and I don't, I don't want to put my human shit on you. So it's the first time, it's not the first time I've ever been in charge of someone's life and making decisions about them. That happened with my aunt. And it was the, I, I mean, I lost my father and that's the worst moment in my life. But my mom made that decision. Like the medical science made that decision and then my mom, you know, pulled the trigger basically. But not in the sense of she killed him, but she made the choice. And she's a nurse and she was like, he's done. But when my aunt got sick and had a stroke and a heart attack at the same time, Ian, Jen, and I, and my cousin Carolyn, the four of us had to go for vitals are getting better and worse. And it, it just this thing of, and, and looking at her quality of life and what she would have wanted. And it was, it's kind of the worst. Like when I go back, at least my dad dying was clean. Mm -hmm. And so now with Blue, I'm, I'm kind of circling back to that moment of, I don't know what's clean. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm trying to make the best choice. And I, Steve knows this because he's Dreyfus. You're you know. I, we have a dog now, and my daughter's like, "Do you love our new dog?" And I'm like, "No, no, I like him a lot, but I loved one dog, and it broke my heart. And I like one, I like this dog. Yeah, you have a very serviceable dog, mm -hmm. but I can't love it. And it's weird because Precious, our dog." When we were kids, uh, she, well, Patches died of cancer, and then Precious died of cancer, and PJ died of old age. But Precious, she died of cancer rapidly. She died in my sister's arms. My like it was so we've had a weird, actually, dog cancer-ridden dogs, and it's it's really really hard to look at to have that moment where you go, the, and this is what I'll say because I was talking to someone when they. What my friend uh, was talking about. I'm never going to refer to the, my dog as my daughter. And I go, here's the thing. I get that it's silly, but there is nothing in the universe that will allow you to come home and just go, like, be crazy affectionate, crazy loving, pet, hug, kiss, 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 kiss for its, its entire life. You know, children eventually, like, get off of me or they need to explain something or whatever. This literal, like, affection bomb bomb and also like endless 
place, like black hole of affection that you just get, you just get to endlessly be loving and compassionate and happy at. And when that exists and it's gone from you, you're like, where do I put? I apparently have a thousand times more love and joy to give to something. And when you take a dog away or a cat away or whatever you love like that, that's not complicated. It is like, where do I put all of that unadulterated joy and affection? And with Blue, I look at him every day and I, I, I say, like, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. Like, I spend most of my day going, like, I got to get home to Blue. I got to, he doesn't produce enough tears. So I got to get stuff to put tears in his eyes. I got to, you know, Jennifer takes him to bed. And then when she gets up in the morning, she gives him to me and he gets in my bed. And, like, we have to get, the, like, He's our guy, and he's, anyway, so we're in the midst of this, and it will end, I think, sadly, but well, because um, we have good doctors, but that's actually my big, like, actually dealing with cancer thing, because it's been a bunch of, it's been a bunch of procedures, and a bunch of medication, and make, constantly making decisions about, and also grossly making decisions about money, you know, like, how do you afford this? And if I go into horrible debt keeping him alive, is he happy being alive? Because that's more it. Like, I'll keep him alive. But also not wanting to judge other people who go, you know what? He had a good run. Like, anyway, so that's my that's my cancer story. I'm done. It's hard with the pets. Like, we just, just this morning we woke up and um, Fanny, one of our, our two little rescue dogs, when she, first time she stood up this morning, she started screaming in pain. Um, this crazy, like, oh, sound. Like, some, what the hell? What is that sound? What's wrong? And then you have this moment of, like, they can't tell you what's wrong. Like, th she's clearly in pain. She's Something's wrong. She won't let us touch her. Um, and then uh, Chick took, took her to the, to the vet and... Um, we think she probably like hurt her back jumping down off a bed or a couch or something because she's a little... She's teeny tiny. She's small and low to the ground. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's like, well, how much did that cost? Like, you can't help but ask that question, of yeah. course. And then you feel shitty about asking that question. It's like, well, that's a $500 x-ray. And that's with insurance. Yeah. But I would, you know, spend anything as would you. Like, that's my little hairy baby. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I think we've really rounded out the very human conversation with our personal... With <laughs> cancer. Good Lord. Um, so, Mary Jo, you can be found on... Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mary Jo LA. You can find me on Facebook at Mary Jo Smith. Um, and you? I, in our, pod, our Twitter account that Mary Jo is supposed to handle, but she's I am, too busy. I'm really bad. Uh, is <laughs> at my first time pod, and first is spelled out, so at M-Y-F-I-R-S-T. Um, our website is myfirsttimepodcast.net. Also spelled out first. Yes. yes. And there are pictures on that um, and bios. Yep. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook. It's just my first time. Yeah, so that's actually great. And that we're on iTunes. This mm -hmm. will be on iTunes. Uh, and we're also on SoundCloud, if you like SoundCloud. Yeah. Um, I am Colleen Marie Smee on Instagram, and then Colleen Smee on Twitter, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-S-M-I. Ian? Ian Screams. 
Ian Screams, I A N S C R E A M S. Yep. And then uh, for the T Chick photo, Chick is the uh, photographer who does all the photos of our guests. Yeah. And I'm going to be doing Taboo Tales January 30th. So if you want to come see me do something live and in person. Yeah. And I will be in San Francisco on the 20th, January 20th, doing Teen Witch at San Fran Sketch Fest. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. With really fun past guests like uh, Drew Drogi and um, Amy Picacci. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then some people like. No. no, Sam is on a bit of it. Jim Rash is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Artemis Tadami. Yeah, Jordan Black, past guests, all really fun people. Uh, no, Artemis has not been on the show yet, but we will get her. We're getting her. Okay. She's a get. Um, so come back February 1st for yeah. another round of and something fun. Massage your genitals, guys. Yes, and and uh, let's we're gonna put up. So if you, after you've listened to this, go back to the website and we'll put up like you know some breast cancer and testicular cancer and all sorts of cancer. Just all the cancer thing. How how to check yourself. (laughs) Basically, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Exactly. Good night.